Hails minions and mortals, this is Fang von Rathenstein, lead singer of the most metal band on earth, the Lords of the Trident, and we are running seven live streams every single month, including full band concerts, solo guitar shred sessions, and even classic Sega CD game playthroughs. So head on over to youtube.com slash Lords of the Trident and twitch.tv slash Lords of the Trident and subscribe. We've got a Patreon too, so check that out. Do it quick before Andy realizes he played the Lords ad and not the Lord ad. You're back. Thank you so much for joining me on my little podcast, the Andy Social Podcast. If you want to support this podcast to keep it pumping, to keep it chugging along, come on over to Patreon, patreon.com slash Andy Dowling. Support starts from only a buck a month, a little set and forget, a little feel good payment, a little warm and fuzzy feeling that you can get from that. And there are additional tiers if you want access to the exclusive Patreon podcast episode that comes out every Tuesday morning, Sydney time into your uh, podcast player. You can use an RSS feed or into your inbox and you can have a listen to that as well. Patreon.com slash Andy Dowling. The money that I get from Patreon goes directly back into this podcast to keep it really simple. It covers the editing, uh, podcast hosting, website hosting, the gear, everything. And it keeps me motivated to continue to build this podcast, make it bigger and better. Thanks to legends like yourself who are already on Patreon and legends like yourselves who are about to join Patreon. If you get what I mean, wink, wink, patreon.com slash Andy Dowling. Thank you very much. Ahoy! Welcome to the Andy Social Podcast. This is episode 248. We are getting closer and closer to 250. Who will 250 be? Who knows? But this week's guest is a legend in the melodic rock space. If you are an AOR fan, melodic rock fan, more than likely you'll know who this guest is. If you don't, I reckon you'll know at least one or two of his songs. Stan Bush. Stan Bush is my guest this week, an absolute legend in the AOR melodic rock world. Um, I've been a big fan for years. I've got uh, a bunch of his albums and just um, just a huge fan. I love AOR. I love uh, lots of melodic rock uh, hooks, hook city, I usually call it. But uh, Stan Bush is iconic in the space. And for people that aren't familiar with his name, you may know a couple of his songs. Stan Bush wrote and recorded, put out a couple of songs that were on the original Transformers soundtrack and were featured in the original Transformers movie. This is long before the big budget Transformers series that came out in the 2000s. This was the OG, the original, back in the late 80s. The fanta- This is my favorite, by all means. And Stan Bush put out two songs that were on the soundtrack, Dare and The Touch, and the latter being probably his biggest, biggest hit. So if you haven't, if the names don't ring a bell, I'll put links in the show notes. You will no doubt have heard the songs before. And I'd be very surprised if you haven't seen the original Transformers movie as well. Go and check it out if you haven't. Highly recommended. Stan Bush has got a brand new album coming out in November of this year. So I think by the time this episode comes out, it may be November or very close. Uh, Dare to Dream. So you can go to stanbush.com. Go and check that out. Go and grab his album. It'll be on all the uh, all the usual uh platforms to grab your music these days online and you can also get uh, the tangible stuff from stanbush.com uh, lots of great stuff in this chat uh, an amazing musician and just he can write a song i tell you what he knows how to write a hook amazing so enough waffling on from me please enjoy this great chat with stan bush what's a day in the life of stan bush at the moment um, well, I've been recording the album all this year, actually starting, uh, even last year, we did a couple of tracks, uh, like last summer we did the, the single, the eighties 
and with a music video and so forth. And uh, but that so that's on the new album as well. Um, but uh, most of ev- most everything was done this year on the album, and it's uh, going to be released November twentieth. So uh, so far, uh, people that had have heard it love it. So uh, it's 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 going to be good. Has um has this year or at least the last several months thrown sort of the the trajectory of the album out of whack at all, or is it all been sort of on track and everything's going okay? Fingers crossed. You mentioned with the COVID? Yeah, just everything. And no doubt, I mean, who knows? Like just getting people together, trying to keep on schedule. No, actually, it's 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 actually helped me uh, as far as creatively. And uh, my producer also, uh, this whole year, he's devoted his full attention to working with me. So it's worked out great. It's win-win, you know. So uh, in, in that regard, it's it's been kind of a, a plus, you know. Uh, but yeah, it's... Uh, it's, we were real pleased with how it came out. One thing when I was putting together notes and trying to trying to piece together sort of a timeline and, and all the different things you've been involved with over the years, like the common theme, which is, I think it might not be, you might not feel it's unique for yourself, but it's definitely unique from my perspective where you've always sort of been in tune with publishing and trying to mm-hmm. get your music into different places, not just your traditional I'm going to put out an album. I'm going to put it out there. People are going to listen to it and enjoy it, and and that's it. You've you've really sort of made that focus to sort of have it in different, have the music in different places to really sort of maximise it. Has that always been sort of a, a thought right from the get go that that was a, a goal of yours to have your songs featured in different places? Um, well, yeah. Uh, like I say, the touch uh, wasn't initially written for the Transformers, but uh, but that kind of kicked it off. It seemed like. Uh, it got a lot of uh, promotion from having been in the movie and uh, associated with the Transformers brand. And uh, yeah, and, and some songs like like off the last album, we had Warrior uh, that was used in video games and so forth and, and a couple of TV shows. So yeah, that, that sort of thing does work. In, in the case of Born to Fight, the new song, um, it was written specifically for Netflix and uh, – there are other songs like that 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 have that theme where you have like fighting and and uh, winning and and that kind of thing and uh, impossible odds <laughs> that sort of theme theme uh, and uh, you know of course some some of that becomes more believe in yourself and go for it and that sort of thing just sort of general life kind of stuff where you're you're reaching for stuff that maybe you didn't think you could do that kind of thing yeah. Um, I've, I mean, just everything, everything across your career that I've seen as far as those big sort of high points where the, you've had certain songs featured in different places. It's it that sort of underlying theme of sort of believing in yourself, fighting for something, striving for something has been sort of a, a common, a common theme, at least from your perspective, I guess that's always been something that you're really passionate about and really sort of put a lot into. Yeah, it's, um, you're right. It it has been kind of a general sort of theme. Every every album there, there are also love songs interspersed, but generally speaking, um, I I do kind of lean towards that. It's sort of um, inspirational rock, if you will. Um, but yeah, I, I uh, it's kind of I don't know. It all started with the touch. I don't know how I kind of just fell into that. But um, I I'm it's a little corny, but I think you know we. You, you can make your life be what you want it to be. You know, people don't realize that we, we really do have a lot of power, you know, 
and uh, is channeling that and so forth. And sometimes you can uh, overcome a lot of stuff that you wouldn't think you could. Well, it definitely, definitely helps if you can write your own soundtrack to your life. Like the rest of us get to get to enjoy the music that you put out, but you're writing your own, which is which is pretty cool. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, it, it's funny like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> what was it? I mean, going right back, I noticed that um, sort of late 70s, you're in a band called uh, Boulder, I believe. And, Correct. And sort of starting out in music – was it the intention that you wanted to be part of a band or did you all already have sort of a vision that you were going to be sort of more of this solo artist where your name would sort of be the front of everything that you do? Was there sort of an intention at the beginning of, of your career? No, I was always a band guy. Um, like I say, that band Boulder, we came out to LA from Boulder, Colorado and uh, did, did an album on Electra Records and that band broke up the uh and it just sort of worked out that way one of the we had like two guys that were kind of managing us and one of them had a uh connection to to the electro asylum studios uh the and we so we did a uh an album you know sort of a secret album project that wound up becoming uh the demo for the cbs records deal that i got columbia records so then uh after that uh I got another deal with uh, Scotty Brothers Epic, you know, so, and that was the one that Scotty Brothers got the song in the Transformers movie, and from there it's, you know, but it, uh, it's all kind of worked out. Is it, is it a case of sort of in those early days, especially when Boulder broke up, that there was a lot of hustling on your behalf to try and sort of keep everything going? Because if you're, you know, as you said, you've, you've always been a bit of a band guy. If that band, you've moved from Colorado to, you know, to LA. You know, to, to get this thing happening, you got this contract, this deal in place, the band just doesn't happen. Was it a case at that time where you're thinking, oh geez, I've got to I've got to try and work out what my next my next steps are gonna be? Was there a lot of sort of hustling that you had to do at the time? A lot of hustling, a lot of freaking out, <laughs> living living in Hollywood, trying to figure out how I was gonna pay my rent, you know, selling gear, you know, that it, it was everything, a little of everything. But it uh like I say, it, it worked out because uh I got I got in with the right people at least to, to get in the door uh, and had management and so forth. But it um, it was a process. The, uh, the 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 CBS deal. Unfortunately, I I had like a collection of a body of work I'd worked on for a few years writing, and I had like a, a enough songs to make an album. But then, okay, album number two. <laughs> it, I think it happens a lot with yeah. bands. That, they, they, they don't have any new songs. They have to try to write a new album in three months or something, you know, and it's just, it's hard to do. And of course I was still developing at that time as a, as a writer and so forth. So, but yeah, it, uh, it all, the, uh, uh, at the time, like I say, the, the Scotty brothers producer heard me, the one who produced my record, Rishi Wise. And he, he had worked with, uh, uh, kiss and a bunch of people so he was he was good you know and he knew his stuff and good song guy and he, he hooked me up with real songwriters too that was another thing before then i had just worked on my own mostly and uh but i started co-writing with people like like lenny macaluso who i uh, wrote the touch with and also this new track born born to fight was uh co-write with him so i got the a team together <laughs> <laughs> for sure i mean it's, yeah it's uh i mean right place right time and uh and certainly probably the right place in the world to be as far as, you know, 
people creating music and and collaborating and and that networking space. I mean, I guess that's why stereotypically so many people move to LA over the years to to try and make it and to try and make things happen. It's just uh, it's a bit of a melting pot of of uh, of creativity and hustle. That's right. Yeah, it, it's it's a pretty cool thing in that regard. Um, the, the business has changed a lot, obviously. Um, like after I made that second album, the B- Barrage album, uh, and then, then the early 90s came and rock kind of imploded there, the, the, at least the kind of rock that I did, the 80s rock thing. And so uh, I mainly did stuff in Europe and Japan uh, during the 90s because uh, they still had a rock scene and, you know, they, they liked the uh, melodic rock, the 80s rock. That, that I do, and I, I, so I didn't really change what I was doing too much. And, uh, I went through like kind of a Henley phase. <laughs> I was doing acoustic kind of music, and you know, and then I got back to my roots more when uh, you know, like the last four albums have been pretty. Uh, I, I, I really like what I've been doing with this producer Holger Fath. He's a German guy, my best friend, and he produced the last four albums, and he's he's great. He. Uh, plays guitar and keyboards and and really everything and uh he he uh helps arrange and come up with really good parts to make the make the songs work and just really i don't know i'm really happy with working with him i think uh i think like anything music comes in waves and you know the different trends in the mainstream uh but uh, it's it's funny to watch how different markets different countries all respond to music differently and as you said like sort of when I guess the Western world, or at least sort of US and, and probably even down here in Australia, we sort of got swept up in that alternative music transition in the early 90s. Uh, but seeing, yeah, Japan, I mean, for me, like as a musician, we've been really lucky. We've had a great a great little career in Japan and, and just been one of these little unique melting pots of uh, dedicated music fans who just love hard rock and heavy metal and all of that. And Europe's the same place as well, where... Um, they've got their pockets of just dedicated music fans who just, and they know their stuff as well. So I'm not surprised that you're working with somebody based in Europe who just understands how it all works and gets the best out of you as well. Yeah. He's, he's about 10 years younger than me. So he, he grew up on the, in the eighties, you know, I mean, as far as, you know, musically, I, I was, I was more of a seventies guy and, and even late sixties. I mean, I was, I was into music all during that time, but, uh, playing bars in the South and all that growing up in Florida. So, but it's, it's been a cool ride. I mean, the Cal, the Colorado thing was a nice sort of introduction to the recording business. And, you know, I learned a lot of stuff about, you know, how to, how to record an album and, and uh, how to write a song too. <laughs> that's the thing I think that's the most important. I, I, I've developed, a, you know, I think I've developed into, pretty decent writer i mean i can it's not i can't always get there but i know a good song when i hear it you know like (laughs) you know what i mean well i was gonna i actually wrote it down as like a really sort of big bold question to ask you at some point during this during this chat i should say what do you think makes a great song what are the what are the key ingredients what what do you sort of listen for or even when you're putting together your own music what are the sort of elements that you that are just non-negotiable just have to be in there well I think something that is memorable, like as far as a hook to me is, is important. Like that was one of the things about the eighties that was so great. Cause those songs, you just remembered them, you know, like, like I had the tiger or so, you know, it's just a great 
the big payoff line or something that that sticks with you you walk out of the movie theater singing the song you know and uh that that sort of element like wasn't as as prevalent in the 90s and uh and beyond but it's it's sort of come back to a degree and uh part of it's nostalgia but i think uh a lot of it really is just what works you know like the stadium rock thing i always like that the power you know journey and foreigner that kind of stuff i i like that that kind of music and I always have. So, uh, but I think really, um, let's see, just, just as far as, uh, my own writing, um, I try to, when I sit down, it's, it's sort of like initially there'll just be like a, a music line or maybe just a, a few chords and then a melody that, 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 that's, I know it's, it's cool. This is neat. I like it. So, uh, then I'll, I'll sort of keep playing that and maybe find another chord thing to, to, the other thing with me, I, I like to be different. I mean, I don't want to do the same thing that, you know what I mean? There's so many songs that, oh, that sounds like 10 other, 10,000 other songs, you know, this, this thing. I mean, it's hard. It's really hard not to do that because, you you know, you find stuff that works. But um, if you can get that twist, you know, that that where it changes keys or something, that was the cool thing about Def Leppard and bands like that. They, they, uh, they'd have key changes and uh, – for the chorus or something, you know, and then it would go back and um, like it, musically interesting and, and that kind of thing. So uh, that was one of the things I've always kind of stri- strived towards, you know. I'm a, so. I'm a massive AOR melodic rock fan. I, I just, I, I feed off it. I, it's just, and I think for, for similar reasons to what you said before, where there's a little bit of nostalgia um, and, but I think ultimately it's that hook. It's that, and and you did it before because like, um, for people listening, we're we're seeing each other on video, and you did the fist pump sort of thing in the air. It's that same yeah. sort of feeling that you get, that energy yeah. that you get from a, a big punchy chorus. And but what you said then about the the key change, there is nothing. I don't. I cannot think of anything better than a key change coming in towards the end of the song, where just when you think this song's fantastic, and then it just goes up a notch, and you go, oh wow! It's it's almost this euphoric yeah. sort of element that uh, sort of caps off with this. this uh, this climax to the song, which is just, uh, it's absolutely incredible. That, I agree. Yeah. Sometimes it's just, it just goes up a step, but, but I like like when it totally new key comes in, it's like, Whoa, you know, <laughs> it's like, uh, it's pretty cool. You know, it's unexpected. I think is the, one of the cool things about it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Going back to sort of those earlier days in LA and sort of going into this sort of, you know, getting out of the, the boulder scenario with your band and sort of working together with different people. I mean, what, if you can recall, I mean, what, how did, how did your networking sort of approach work at the time? Cause I mean, I guess where these questions are coming from is me as a musician myself. And I'm always sort of thinking about how life is now for a musician. Um, it's very different. Obviously we're all connected on the internet. We can send emails and messages and we can talk to each other really easily, but, uh, you know, being in LA and, and trying to you know, find people. And as, as you said, you were referred or you, you were introduced to people to start working on songwriting, etc. I mean, what, what did, what did day to day look like for you? Was it a case of meeting up with people at bars or would you go down to studios and sort of meet up with people and try and just have a conversation with, and just try and work out sort of a way to sort of arrange a meet up with particular people? I mean, what did it look like? Well, pre-COVID, yeah, you do that, do that, you know, go go hear some other guys network. I had this uh, acoustic band. I uh, we haven't played obviously since March, but uh, the uh, bass player from Quiet Riot and the drummer from 
toured with America and a bunch of other people and the guitar player, the really good musicians. And we did like Zeppelin and just cover stuff, you know, acoustic kind of uh, bass. But it was, uh, you know, they buddies of theirs would come down and sit in and, you know, so it, it was kind of a, a scene, you know, and it, it's, but it is like that a lot, a lot of times you, you, know, you meet people through other musicians and so forth, but, uh, but you're right. I mean, it's, uh, it, getting, getting out there, get networking and so forth. It's, it's kind of uh, a lot of, a lot of time I'm working on my own though, you know, just, uh, I have this really great acoustic guitar that just sounds like gold and I, you know, just sit in my room and, and just try to come up with new ideas and, it's, I have to push myself too. like some of these guys that can write like a song a day. Like I'm not one of them, you know, <laughs> and also like if I'm not, um, if I'm not really excited about it, I, I won't even finish it. I'll just like move on to something else. And so you have to, it's like this, I don't know, this level of, uh, um, perfection or something. It's uh, whatever it is, but, but yeah, I, I, uh, I don't really, it's a hard question to answer. Like what day to day, you know, it's just, uh, Obviously, I don't do stuff every day, but um, I try to keep motivated, and I'm uh, a self-starter kind of person, I guess. It's uh, that's one of the things you can't be like a a bum, you know. <laughs> and songs just fall out of the sky, you know. Yeah, I wish they. <laughs> I, I guess I guess these days, and and talking more so pre-COVID, because now it's it's completely different at the moment. But I guess sure even sort of earlier in the year or, or say last year would still be, I assume be very different to what it was probably in the early eighties with you trying to sort of network where you were still forming these connections with people. You're still trying to build yourself up as, as, as a profile, getting reputation for yourself and, and people understanding who you are and what your talents are. So I, I would assume that extra hustle and, you know, the, 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 the amount of networking that you would have had to do back then would have been a lot more than what you would be doing in later years. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things here. The internet's broken a lot of barriers in that regard. Um, you know, you can have a video that go, a music video that goes viral and all of a sudden you're, you're a known quantity, you know, and, uh, or, or, you know, I get like a song in a, in a movie or a TV show that's popular and they'll, Oh, I heard that, you know, and it, it, you start to, after years and years of, you know, building up those kind of credits and things like I, the first two Jean-Claude Van Damme movies I sang on, uh, blood sport and kickboxer. I had three songs in each of the two movies. And, um, you know, a lot of people that are like, you know, martial arts fight, they're into that stuff. And they, they heard those songs way back and around the time of the touch actually, um, but yeah, it's just, you know, people know you from different things that you've done. And, um, part of the, it's, it's been like a building process, I guess, you know, and, uh, yeah, people, people know that I'm, uh, you know, I'm not just one thing. I'm, I, for a long time, it was like, Oh, he's just a transformers guy. <laughs> you know, anyway, but it's, uh, it's cool. You know, but it's sort of, uh, at least I, I think my style is pretty, uh, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, got a few fans. It's it's cool though. It's uh, I, I do some of those conventions too, where I'll go to Transformers and they they uh, the kids. You know, they they want to hear the new records and that kind of thing. And sometimes I'll perform, and but it's fun. How, Real nice kid, these people. How how have you adjusted to that over the years? Where a lot of people may only know you from from the touch or, or even dare, you know, those, those big songs from, from that soundtrack. 
um, it, it appears to me that it's something that you've embraced, and even you, you talking about it, it's you know, it's it's a it's a it's a world of its own. It just it looks incredible, like just the the the. Uh, what do you call it, the conventions that they have and and the fandom around it? It's 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 really sort of heightened. But um, how have you adjusted to it as far as people just knowing you for that? Well, that's the thing. If I go to a Transformers convention, there'll be like a couple thousand people, and they'll all know who I. Oh, that's Stan Bush. And then you know, anywhere else I go, I can't get arrested. Because <laughs> 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 you know it's it's that kind of thing. But it's fine, you know. It's um. I mean, for me, I as I said, I'm I'm a big melodic rock fan. So, I've been I've been relative not not all of your back catalogue, but there's been touches along along the along the way that uh, I've certainly uh, sort of been well familiar with your music, especially the Barrage album um, in full. Um, there's there's so many tracks on there, and I whenever somebody mentions your name and sort of goes the touch, I'm like, oh, you've got to hear like the rest of that album. That is just like it's it's incredible. So I mean, I'm I'm gushing a little bit, but um. But uh, oh, that's one thing that I, I sort of thought about and sort of for me sort of being a musician and, and being in a band myself about your identity as a musician, being a writer, being a creator, being an artist and, and what sort of challenges there might be with people only knowing you for a very small section of your entire career and how, how that sort of impacts you as, as, as yourself, as your own person and your identity. So it's, uh, it's interesting just to hear you sort of... Uh, Describe that. Oh, well, just talking about my reaction to people caring about what I do, it's, it's very gratifying. I, I, I don't think I deserve it, that kind of thing. It's, you know, I try to be humble because it's, you know, it's, it's a gift from, from God, you know, to have, you know, that, you know, the ability to do something like this that you love, you know, is, is really amazing. It's, it's fun and awesome. And I, like, I don't know, it's kind of like a puzzle, you know, too, when you're like, when you're putting something together and you, you, you know, you get, you get into it and I don't know, but, uh, but yeah, as far as the, the fan thing, I, um, uh, I appreciate everything that, that comes my way. I, I try to be as, you know, cause it's, it really is awesome. And, uh, people have been really wonderful to me for the most part. It's, it's been a cool ride, you know, the, um, I think, like I say, the new album, uh, I'm very excited about it. It's, it's, it. To me, it's the best thing I've ever done. And, uh, you know, like I had the Barrage album that you mentioned. That's That's been my ultimate album for, for most of my career. It's like, oh, you'll never beat that one. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And and then, uh, like I say, the, the, the next, to me, the, the one that I did really well on also was uh, – the uh in this life you know that was that was a really solid solid album and then uh you know i I feel like i finally topped that you know with the new uh the new one dare to dream so uh anyway i'm i'm uh, I'm excited excited to hear it and uh especially for you to (laughs) oh perfect perfect i love it one thing that i thought was quite interesting with you know these high points in your career was getting um Captured the dream for the '96 Olympics was that was that sort of a real big high point for you? Um, even in comparison to Transformers and all these other things, like I'm just assuming from a you know being an American, having the Olympics in in your own country, and then having a song that's that's linked in with this this huge event would have been amazing for you. Yeah, it was awesome. They um, I flew to Atlanta and performed in the Olympic Village and all this you know 
of course, the song was featured on NBC when the uh, American swim team won all those gold medals. So, you, you know, it, there was footage of like a collage of footage of that stuff, you know, uh, with this with the song airing airing on NBC. It was really cool. And uh, like I say, the uh, the only moment I think one of the moments that that would have been comparable to that is winning winning the Emmy. And that was actually the same year. The song uh, Till I Was Loved by You was uh aired on uh, actually CBS uh, television, uh, uh, soap opera. <laughs> and uh, anyway, it was, it was really cool. It got nominated and then, and then we won, you know, my uh, co-writer and I, and, uh, but it was, it was pretty awesome. I never expected to win an Emmy award. It was uh, best song of the year for, for television. It was, the, the award was presented in 2000, I'm sorry, 1997, and uh, it aired in '96, so the same year as the uh, Olympics. Wow, such a such a an amazing sort of period of time in in your life to to sort of have you know this music coming out, the Olympics, and then and then straight into like getting an Emmy, get getting getting awarded this uh, this amazing achievement. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, it's just it's kind of intangible, you know. It's like uh, like one of those lifetime achievement things. It's uh, you know. It's not it's not the be all end all, but it's something that's really cool that you can always be proud of, you know. Well, not many people uh, get the privilege, so I think that's uh, it's pretty cool. Well, thank you. <laughs> with the Olympics, I mean, and getting this song uh, sort of associated with with the Olympics and sort of participating in it, what? How did that work? Was it just a case of of the the guys that you were working with at the time? They just from a publishing point of view, just had submitted it through and, and you weren't aware of it and you sort of found out when it was accepted or was there an, an intention to sort of create a song for this? Uh, what did that uh, look like? We, we actually did write it specifically for that. Um, you know, the, the terms like go for the gold and those kind of things are in the song lyric. And uh, it's funny, I sat, I sat down in the lyrics and I like wrote down every cliche that I could think of and, you know, and then kind of, you know, work. I, I don't know. It, it really did work, though, you know. Um, uh, but, yeah, we, we wrote it specifically for for that. And uh, my my co-writer, friend of mine, uh, Mark Ferrari, he's a guitar player. He had a, a band back in the 80s, too, and uh, in the 90s. He was, but uh, anyway, he he got it to the, the right folks and uh, to get it to get it in there. With the publishing perspective and, and sort of writing music for movies and TV shows, uh, it, I guess the reality behind it for people, because it looks like you just strike gold all the time, like just to use the gold analogy before, uh, but I would assume that's probably not the case. There's probably a lot of pitches that you do with, with the people that you work with. You write a song for something and you put it out there as a pitch and it might not always hit. I mean, what what does that look like? I mean, how often... Do you and the people that you work with write music and send it off in the hope that it gets picked up by a, a particular project? Well, that's one of the things. I it's it's hard to uh, to get out and push your music. It seems like uh, more more often I've had people come to me with uh, well, like the Netflix person. He 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 reached out to me. Um, it's uh, through my website. Uh, I have a there's a stanbushmanagement.com or whatever email or at gmail um but anyway uh for for some tv shows and things recently it's been that kind of thing because 
like I was saying before, you, you know, you build up a reputation and they, Oh, this, this, uh, this guy, you know, or whatever. And, uh, I, uh, I, but I remember what you, what you were just saying makes me think of when, when I did commercials, I did like, I was the voice for Toyota trucks and Coors beer and all this stuff back in the eighties. And I would make cassette tapes back then. And I mean, uh, every three months or so I'd make up a, you know, a hundred and something cassettes and I'd send them out to all the music producers in town that, that did commercials, you know, jingles. And, uh, you know, it was a, it was a grind. I, you know, I'd be, I would network and I figured out that if I got to be friendly or not, you know, got to know some girl singers that they would help and I could help them, you know, for recommendation. Cause you know, there's no competition. They either want a man or a woman or a girl or a guy, you know? Mm. So anyway, it, uh, but I, I had I, a lot of success, you know, in commercials way back, you know, and the, the 90, uh, 89, I did all the, all the Coors beer and the Toyota trucks for during the world uh, Super Bowl in 89. I had, you know, six national commercials running at the same time. So it's good money. So. I, I bet. <laughs> That's pretty cool. With, with the cassette thing, I mean, just hustling and getting the cassettes out to different people. Were, was yeah. it a case that you were going, getting some, some studio time to quickly go in and get some, get some takes down to put on cassette? Or were you doing it from, from an apartment? I mean, what did that look like? Um, yeah, I was just uh, when I I would I would use like clips from songs that I had already or commercials I had already done stuff I had already sung on and uh, even if it wasn't a final maybe just a demo for something I would include it in my they call it a reel yeah. you know like yeah so I'd have my uh, vocal demo reel and I would send out to uh, and of course the touch was on there too I remember because <laughs> I had had done that by then. So, but yeah, it was oh, good. It was, uh, it was a good, a good period, you know, during that time. And of course, like we were saying, the, the nineties came along and boop, eighties music was gone, you know, mostly for the most part, they had all these, uh, I don't know what happened, but just all of a sudden the Seattle, the grunge thing, you know, came in and rock was changed. Oh, dramatically, dramatically during that time, was it, were you sort of reconsidering where your spot was? I mean, obviously Japan and Europe still had this music scene that was happening that was still appealing, like there was an appeal for the type of music that you play. But did, were you aware of that already? Did you already have the idea that you were going to focus on those markets or was it was there a period of time where you sort of had to sort of think about, well, what does my future hold? Like I can see that the, the attention shifting do I need to make changes myself or do I stick to my guns and, and continue to do the music that I've been doing all the way along? Well, I, I kept doing what I did. I, I couldn't really change uh, who I was. So I just sort of, like I say, I was mostly just doing business in Europe and Japan. And uh, so uh, it, like I say, it was a, a smaller scale thing. Um, the, uh, the first two albums were on major labels in the U S and, big budgets and all that. And, uh, but, uh, but after that, uh, and, and again, like you talked about before the first, the very first album was that Boulder album. And, uh, I didn't plan to go solo, but it just kind of happened that way. And as, especially once the touch had come out, it was like, um, well, I could get up, get in a band or get up a band. Uh, but then, but I thought, well, I've already had a little bit of success as, as a solo artist, and it seemed like the natural progression would just be to follow that trajectory. You know, so that's what I did. 
and um, it just kind of worked out that way. Um, I don't know. It's a good question, though. It's like, uh, you know, what happened to Stan? Oh, he broke up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I, mean, I just know I'm I'm familiar with, with uh, Japan and Europe and, and their love of of a lot of uh, sort of melodic rock and hard rock and even heavy metal, uh, just guitar-driven music, real real sort of guitar-driven music and, and big hooks. Uh, so, yeah, I'm just, I'm interested to see, just to, to know or, or understand, I guess, what that was like when you made those decisions to start focusing on those other markets because the US just was not, uh, what it used to be. So no. was it, was it a case that people like you already had a relationship with those markets and you just continued to work with those markets? Or was it a case that people from Japan were starting to reach out to you or how, like how did... How did that work? Can you recall? Mostly Europe, but but yeah, I, I had already, like I said, I had made some headway over there. Um, I had done some appearances and tours and so forth in Germany and and England, and uh, so I had a a, ba- a fan base there, you know, um, and uh, it was enough to keep to keep going, you know. Like I, I remember one at one point, I opened for Lou Graham in Germany, and then I went back a few years later, opened for Survivor. Nice. So you know. Uh, yeah, I toured with Russ Ballard, you know, just things like that. And uh, so, sometimes I would go on my own to perform. But uh, one th- thing, too, that worked out well is if you're a solo artist, they can they can put together – you can put together a band over there already, and it saves a lot of money as far as flying a whole band and all the gear. You know, they could just – I just go over a few few days early and rehearse with them and then do do the concert or the tour, you know. Yeah, I've seen I've seen quite a few few artists, uh, solo artists, do that and have made a real real good sort of business out of it, where they can hook up with the right promoters and the promoters can source the great you know great session musicians who can get up and and do these sets with uh, with these artists. So it makes sense, uh, you know, just to be able to fly four, five, six odd people you know across the world. It's uh, it's not cheap, so to have people locally, it makes sense. Airfare, hotels, it, it, yeah, it's a lot cheaper. And uh, in fact, I have a really good band in the UK. We've we've done uh, like three things together so far. Um, and uh, the last time was was in Germany. We did uh, it was November uh, a year ago. Uh, coming up, it'll be a year. Um, we played at uh, the Heat Festival in outside of uh, oh, yeah. Stuttgart. Yeah, yeah. Going back to uh, songwriting, you mentioned songwriting before and and being sort of in the early 80s and getting hooked up with different songwriters to help you become a better songwriter. Sure. Uh, what, what did the process look like generally with, with some of these guys that you, you wrote songs with where you're both collaborating and trying to put music together? What did that look like? Was it a case of bringing ideas to the table? Would you be there in person and, and you would have lyrics or a guitar melody or whatever it might be? Or was it different every single time depending on the person? It's, it's different. Sometimes you just sit down in a room with uh, somebody else and a couple of guitars and, you know, just see if you can bang something out. Uh, sometimes one of the one or the other will have like a kind of a start on an idea and uh, maybe they'll have just a hook and, you know, they need to collaborate to finish the, uh, the song. But, um, yeah, I, I've... Um, Couple times I've flown to uh, out of town. People have flown in to write with me. Um, I went to New Jersey and wrote with uh, this guy named Jack Ponty. Jack Ponty had songs with uh, like Bon Jovi and also uh, 
this band Skid Row. He wrote wrote with them and good good writer. And uh, also around that time, I wor- worked with Jonathan Kane from Journey. Yeah. Uh, Journey had broken up at that point, and they were he was looking to start a new band, and it was just it was just a possibility. We were going to check it out, and we wrote like three songs. And uh, but uh, he's he's brilliant, and so is some. Um, Another one I went to write with was uh, Jim Valance from uh, he wrote all the Brian Adams you know stuff. It was like r- brilliant guy. I mean, him and Jonathan Kane. Something struck me about those guys is that they it, okay, they're brilliant, they're, they're geniuses really. Um, but the thing about them is the work ethic. They'll they'll work like 12, 14 hours on, on in a day. You know, it, it's not just so. Oh, we'll just bang out bang out a tune in, in you know in an hour and then let's go to lunch or something you know it's like they work you know they it's a work ethic thing and you can see why that why they're successful you know it's uh i learned a lot it's uh worked with some some really good people did you did you do some writing with paul stanley did i read correctly um actually yeah it was through kurt cuomo he uh produced a couple of my albums back in the 90s and when i was uh and yeah, at one point it was a song that he and Paul Stanley uh, had had come up with, and I put my voice on it, and it was kind of a, a ca- collaboration. I didn't actually sit down with Paul Stanley, but it was uh, it was that kind of thing. You know, it was like through Kurt. Yeah, uh, it's um just wild to be able to work with so many so many different people, and and no doubt, as you said, even with uh, with sort of Jim and, and Jonathan, like those guys, you know, they're they're amazing songwriters in their own right. But they would be yeah. uniquely different as well with their approaches. Their, per- I mean, just their personality, uh, and just working with these different people. Um, as you said, like learning a lot from them. Obviously, there's work ethic there, but um, even just from a from the craft of just building a song and putting together, was was there certain techniques and things that they sort of do that you sort of went, oh wow, like I, I never never thought of approaching a song that way. Um, that's a really good question. I it, that's the other thing too is it's hard for me to conceive of somebody writing a song if they're, if they're not themselves a singer, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, those guys could carry a tune certainly, but, but they're not like a lead singer, you know, and, and, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it's maybe they can intellectualize it more or something. And, uh, and they don't have to rely on being able to vocalize uh, everything, but, uh, I don't know. I mean, Jonathan Cain's, you know, he's a really good, you know, great solid background singer and all that. In fact, I even heard him sing lead on some stuff he had written. Uh, he played a couple of uh, things for me that he'd come up with on his own, but I don't know. It's, uh, it, it's hard to, you know, each song is different. So it's hard to, for me to really say what, you know, what makes those guys approach, you know, so, so special or important. It's just, I don't know. Jonathan Cain certainly hit, you know, some of the biggest hits ever. Well, both of those guys, mm. you know, uh, but I, I was funny on that Jim balance. It was like one of the lines of melody lines in one of our songs. It had that same thing as like Brian Adams. And it occurred to me that this guy, that he is Brian Adams in a way, you know, <laughs> cause he, he probably came up with this, the melody in, in the first place, you know? So, well, that's it. I mean, so, yeah. I mean, Brian. Brian would be just, in some ways, in certain respects, just the face of, of, of the entire thing. Whereas uh, yeah. Jim, Jim's the motor underneath. Like he's, he's, he's got right. the, he's keeping the whole like, thing going. Uh, 
yeah, like Billy Idol and Steve Stevens, you know, that kind of thing. You, you, you realize the, the real drive, driving force. I mean, you know, just from what I read and heard, you know. But, I, you know, I, I love every day different, but. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I love, I love the idea of that for those guys. I mean, Jonathan Cain, obviously, you know, he was, he was up there on stage and he had a big persona, like as far as being part of Journey. But, yeah. but those guys, I love the idea of working behind the scenes. I love that flying under the radar. I mean, they're crafting these things together, but they're not overly excited about being in the spotlight. Um, they, yeah. they just want to, they want to, they enjoy the craft of creating the song and that's where their passion is. Whereas, you know, there might be other people who are more the performer and they'd rather be on stage and have that, that, uh, that energy of interacting with the crowd and being the, the center of attention. Uh, so I, I really love, I really love that sort of the mechanics behind it, uh, working behind the scenes and sort of going, I'm, I'm, we're going to create something for somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. That's really true. You know, it's, uh. It's it, it's so elusive too, you know. I was talking about a song coming up with something that's uh, you know. It, sometimes you'll you'll love something, and then the next day you're like, I don't know, <laughs> you know. It's like it's it's one of those things, you know, whether something kind of withstands the test of time, you know, and that sort of thing. Were Were there any songs that you've written over the years that come front to mind where you? didn't think much of them to begin with. So you, you've recorded them and like it, it's a good song. You don't mind it, but they've surprised you sort of as time's moved on as far as they've aged well. They've No, if anything, it's the other way around. Uh, you know, some of the ones I thought were really strong were, were maybe not as strong later, yep. but, but the ones that I knew were, were really like real special that remain so like that um i was going to say on that song on that that album uh the album in this life the last song southern rain that was one that was very special to me because i i grew up in florida and and like i say uh you know you walk out when you're a kid you're in the rainstorm and you're like it's amazing you know it's just but it's not as it's as much about the rain as it is being a kid again you know so it there's a you know kind of a double meaning there I, I i don't know that's a real special tune to me so Cap- capturing capturing that uh that feeling of of being there yeah. at that time and and obviously an important time of your life being a child as well so i guess it it sort of captures a lot of different emotions and feelings that's right yeah there's one at the end of the new album called home and it's a little bit like that too where you know, you're, uh, you've done all this stuff in your life and, and you're, you're like, you know, you want to go home. It's like, uh, it, you know, we all have the yearning to go back. I mean, it, okay, okay. It's not realistic and, and it's never going to be the same because, you know, part of it is being a kid and growing up, you know, and all that. But, uh, and they say you can never go back <laughs> and all that stuff. But, but I think in, inside us, there's like a yearning a little bit, most of us and, like like a salmon, you know, <laughs> wants to get back to where it came from, you know. <laughs> I like but, that. I like that comparison. One thing that I definitely, and I'd be kicking myself if I didn't uh, didn't bring this up with you. So I've got some friends of mine uh, from the US in Madison, Wisconsin, and uh, they just recently, uh, a couple of months ago, did a cover of uh, the Touch. And oh, I heard about Lords of yeah. the Trident, a power metal band, and. Uh, 
And uh, I noticed that you you did a retweet of it on Twitter. Um, so what? I mean, I've got to get your thoughts. I mean, especially for Ty and the guys in the band, I, I'm sure they'd love to love to get some feedback from you. What did you think? Oh, it sounded great. Yeah, it was a really good version. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 cool too. That that song is uh, is a very cool song, and uh, you know, I uh, it, it's very gratifying that somebody wanted to cover it. You know, and uh, and the version sounds really good. So that's cool. I mean, there's there's, <laughs> yeah. there's so many so many. I approve another. Oh, there we go. <laughs> there you go, Ty. <laughs> <laughs> he approves. That's good. I, I think, um, I mean, just in your own career, that song has morphed and changed and had lots of different versions over the years. And then obviously people out there have, have uh, taken on their own approach and their own renditions as well. So it's a song that on its own, I mean, even just excluding your entire back catalogue of music, there's so much stuff there. Um, but that song alone obviously has had such a dramatic impact on so many different people so and continues to do so today. So so uh, it's great that people are still making the decision uh, to record it. I've gotten some amazing fan letters over the years about what that song's meant to people and how it's helped them overcome stuff in their lives. One of the coolest things, too, was it was, you know, used in the latest Transformers movie, the Bumblebee had the, had the song, the, the, you know, the... The, the pivotal, uh, you know, you got the touch, you got the power right before, uh, you know, it was a very cool, uh, uh, anyway, so it's, nice it's all see, good. Yeah, it's nice <laughs> to see that it's still going. Yeah, well, what I'm going to do um, for people that are listening is I'm going to obviously put links to everything um, in your world, Stan, uh, so people can reach out to you and, and, and keep an eye on what's going on. Obviously, the new album is going to be coming out in November, and that's Dare to Dream. Um, yep. I'm going to put some links into some of the songs from your career that people may not be as familiar with, uh, and no doubt most people will will know all the all the stuff from uh, Transformers. But um, I'll I'll talk a bit of that in there as well, just to, just to make sure everyone's happy. But uh, Stan, thanks so much for the chat. It's great great to connect with you, and uh, hopefully I, not the last time. Really, my pleasure. I uh, really enjoy talking with you, and yeah, people want to go to stanbush.com to to see what's going on and uh, look for that "Born to Fight" single. It's going to be out soon, and uh, the uh, anime, you know, Netflix. It's uh, it's going to get a big push from them, so it's very exciting, and it'll be right uh, right ahead of the album coming out. So it's it's uh, it's a very lucky sort of uh, it all kind of came together. So, but yeah, thank you. I enjoyed uh, the interview. It's all the best, and uh, yeah, thank you. Hey, you go and reach out to Stan. Tell him what you thought of this podcast. I'm sure he'd be stoked to hear from you. And go and buy his latest album. Go and support him. Grab his latest album, Dare to Dream. It's out in November. It should be out by now. If not, it'll be out very soon. Follow him on, on all the socials. If you're on the streaming services, follow him on there as well, and you'll get a notification. Go to stanbush.com. He'll have CDs and all sorts of other stuff available for his new album, no doubt. And uh, I'm sure he'd love to hear from you. Give him a little bit of Andy social love. I'm sure he would, uh, yeah, I'm sure he'd love it. As with every guest that's been on the podcast, go and reach out to them. Go and say hello. Go and say, hey, I love your stuff. I love the the chat that you had with Andy. You don't like Andy so much, but I love you. Whatever. Tell them. I'm sure they'd love it. You know, they're dedicating a bit of time to cop and ear bashing from your mate Andy and, um, It'd be a nice way to nice way to give back. So yeah, if you do find someone that you you enjoy listening to, go and uh, go and say hello. Go and, go and give them a little bit of love. Uh, one other thing on the uh, topic of Stan Bush, the touch, the song, the touch. Now, the whole reason this podcast episode has come to be 
is because of one particular person, Ty Christian. Ty Christian from Lords of the Trident, who are based in Madison, Wisconsin. And Ty's been on the podcast previously. I think he was on uh, a couple of months ago, so you can go back and have a listen to that episode. An absolute legend, really like a great guy and a great band. Now, Ty and the band put together a cover of The Touch, and they put it out online, did really well, um, and what uh, they put a tweet out on Twitter uh, of the cover, and Stan Bush retweeted it. And I saw it, and I, th- I went to click on Stan's profile, and I realized that we're following each other. And I thought, oh, wow. And then I had this light bulb moment. Get Stan on the podcast. Wow. Okay. So a massive thank you to Ty for basically making this podcast happen. Uh, if it wasn't for you, I don't, I, maybe Stan would have come up on my radar down the tracks. I've, I've been a big Stan Bush fan. I'm a massive AOR fan. I've got a bunch of his albums. I uh, love his stuff, but uh, just was not front of mind. And you certainly brought it front of mind with your amazing cover. So guys, go and check out Lords of the Trident, The Touch. Uh, there's a YouTube, uh, there's a video on YouTube. Go and check that out. And uh, I'll put a link. I'll put a link in the show notes over at andysocial.net, andydowling.net. And uh, it'll, there'll be some clickable links in the description. Um, after you go and say hello to Stan and go and support him with his new album, go and check out that Lords of the Trident cover. It is really, really good. Ty's one hell of a singer. Now, before we wrap it up, Patreon, patreon.com slash Andy Dowling. Thank you to everybody who's jumped on board so far. Uh, I know that I crap on about this quite a bit, but the the money that I'm getting each and every week has, each and every month, I should say, monthly, monthly, is, has been huge. It's, it's, it's taken the edge off. It's taken the stress out of uh, running a podcast. You know, there's lots of expenses that come into doing a podcast. There's uh, there's website hosting, podcast hosting. I, I pay for editing as well, just to take some of that edge off for me. Makes my job a hell of a lot easier. Um, I'm up, upgrading gear, buying new things, um, and it's also helping me sort of open my mind up a little bit and be a little bit more inspired to uh, get out of the weeds of of, uh, of stressing about finances and actually being inspired and motivated to getting uh, more and more fantastic people on the podcast and also growing it, making it bigger, promoting it, uh, adding little additional things to the uh, around the podcast itself to uh, to complement it and make it bigger and better. So it is directly because of the people on Patreon that all of this is happening. So a massive thank you in particular to the people that are on my social circle tier, my $10 social circle tier. These guys are the big hitters. These are the guys that are significantly contributing to the podcast. Andrew from Perth, Mick G from Sydney, Ash from Deniloquin, Dan from Dapto, Rod from Rayleigh in North Carolina, Liam from Brisbane, Chris from Sydney, Brendo from Leeton, Tim from Canberra, and James from Brisbane. And a special additional thank you to Patrick from Canberra, who has taken up my $20 uh, I don't even know what the, the tier's called. I was going to call it a social circle tier, but I don't think it's even that. I think it's called We Need to Talk. <laughs> I think that's what the tier's called. My $20 tier, it's a very cheeky tier that I put in there. Um, there is no additional benefits in there whatsoever. It's just a case of me thinking, let's give people the opportunity to select it if they wish. And Patrick stepped up to the plate and thought, I wish. And he is supporting me with a 20 buck a month uh Patreon tier support thingo. And uh, Patrick, thank you, mate. It is huge. You understand how it all works and you know how much of an impact this has. So uh, a big, big thank you to you and a thank you to everybody on Patreon. All the $1 tier, $5 tier, $10 tier, and of course, $20 uh, is just huge. So thank you so much. Come on over and join anything above a buck. You can do a dollar a month. You don't get anything. It's just a little feel-good payment. Um, and I'd love to have you guys on just even a, even as a $1 a month payment, it'd be fantastic. But if you want to join and you want to pay a little bit more than that, you'll get access to a weekly 
podcast uh, episode, an exclusive Patreon podcast episode every Tuesday morning, 6 a.m. Uh, you can copy the RSS feed, dump it into your podcast player, or you can listen to it straight out of Patreon. Uh, and it's just a bit of fun. It's it's some silly stuff. Uh, there's uh, some, there might be a bit of karaoke in there. There's some uh, some things that I discovered throughout the week, some uh, weird stuff, some fun stuff. Um, I like to think that some of it's semi-informative, I think. I'll, I'll leave that to the Patreon community to tell me otherwise, but um it's a bit of everything in there. So uh, come on over, join, have a listen Listen to that if that uh, floats your boat. And um, I'd just love to have your support. I'd love to shout out a few more people in future podcast episodes as well. So thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, we're done. Next week's guest is a, uh, is a musician, is a writer, and is somebody that has made a decision in recent months to help metalheads. And I'll leave it at that. Until next week, folks, take care and ta-ta. Larry. Larry, please.